0: Thanks, Alice. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Jim. As Alice said, uh, and uh, I'm the vicar here. So, if, um, if it's your first time here, you are very welcome. It'd be good to chat afterwards. Um, but we've been uh, over the last few weeks looking at something called the five marks of mission. Uh, that's not a kind of thing you find in the Bible, although the, the principles are definitely there. Um, but the five marks of mission is something that all denominations uh, have kind of agreed on as a way of summarising, if you like, what mission is. What activity is it that as a church, as the body of Christ here on earth, we should be involved in? Often, maybe uh, in more evangelical churches like our own, there's been a tendency to think of mission as just the first one there, proclaiming, uh, telling people about Jesus. But actually, it's much broader than that. And so we've looked at tell, we've looked at teach, we've looked at tend, we've looked at transform, uh, and this evening, we're going to look at treasure to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth part of our mission as the people of god is to treasure our creation to safeguard its integrity to sustain and renew the life of the earth and what this instruction uh, does what this does or rather should do is cast an inspiring joyful vision for human flourishing—that's what hopefully you're feeling as you read that. Although I suspect maybe not, but let me uh, l- bear with me this evening. Hopefully, by the end of it, you will. Now, if you've ever applied for a job—which uh, I guess may well be quite a few people here—but if you've ever applied for a job, you'll have seen adverts and job descriptions outlining what the role is. So just to get us going, I googled a couple of um job descriptions, real job descriptions or real job adverts. So these were just a couple of my favorites. So if can have got the first one up please Dan. Can't read it from here but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> the next one <laughs> I quite like that one. Uh, and then I came across um, a guy, a cartoonist, uh, who does cartoons for uh, the papers, and he did this thing where he um, he just basically said to the nation somehow, uh, could you email in and tell me what your job is without telling me what your job is? So uh, again, see if you can guess what these are. Next one. My job is to run away and call the police. Any ideas what job that is? Security guard. Well done, Ben. Very good. Next one. Ensure that stupid people say, "Stay in the gene pool. <laughs> Any ideas? I was a lifeguard. <laughs> My job is to copy and paste things. that should say paste, copy and paste things on the Internet. I <laughs> was a student, <laughs> just saying. But in Genesis 1:27 to 28, a passage for this evening, God gives us, gives humanity what we might call the first ever job description. In fact, this is the first instruction that God gave to humanity at all, to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. And if you really want to get um, kind of technical, this is often referred to as the cultural mandate. Okay, the cultural mandate for humanity to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. Now, that first phrase there, be fruitful and multiply, isn't just about sex and producing offspring, but actually, if you look at what the words mean, it means to develop the social world, culture, to build families, churches, schools, city governments, law, arts. And the second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops harness energy, develop medicines, design computers, compose music. The list goes on and on. And God's heart, it seems, right from the beginning, is for humankind, for the whole of creation, to develop and to flourish. And he gives us all we need to do that. But as we look around our world, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that whilst there are indeed great advances and great flourishing. That's not the case for all humankind. And we know only too well that our planet is near a tipping point of no return. Just a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm just going to go through some of the stats. Did you know there's enough food produced in the world for 10 billion people? And approximately at the moment, there's around about 8 billion people on the planet. Half the world's food is lost in waste. A sixth of the world's population live in extreme poverty and go hungry every day. At the start of this year, the doomsday clock moved to 90 seconds to midnight. The global temperatures rising year on year at an unprecedented rate. Carbon dioxide levels are through the roof compared to previous centuries. Greenland, just one example, is losing an average of 279 billion tonnes of ice per year since 1993. The rate at which those levels are rising is double that of the whole last century. Extreme weather events are increasing. The acidity of the ocean has increased by 30%, and by 2030, it's estimated more than 120 million people will have been pushed into poverty through loss of land. In the past decade, 467 species have been declared extinct. All of that is deeply, deeply concerning. And the question is, for us as the church, for us as Christians, is how have we got to this place? And what has all that got to do with mission? Well, ultimately, I'd argue we've got to that place because we've taken our God-given job description and we've either twisted it and abused it, or we've just abandoned it altogether. The reality is the church should be at the forefront of calling out for change, and yet the reality is we've been so slow to catch on, and that must change. It needs us to repent, and it needs us to be reconnected to our job description and mandate of what it means not just to be Christian, but actually what it means to be profoundly human. Created in the image of the creator himself. Now I'm just going to pause there because I just want to show you something. And hopefully it will become clear why it's relevant. And I just want to look at how we understand the story of salvation. How do we understand the story of salvation or what salvation is? Because the extent to which we understand that will affect the extent to which we see creation either as something that can be trashed, and it doesn't matter, or something to be treasured in which we should be play our part in restoring it. So, as we think about the gospel of salvation, we can often think of or tell this story. Each of us, because of our human condition, because of Adam and Eve, and what they did in the Garden of Eden, which is uh, commonly referred to by theologians as The fall. Because of that, our condition is one of sin. And no matter how hard we try, we can't get away from that sin in our lives. And the problem with sin is that it separates us from God. A holy God cannot be near sin. And so we have a problem. But God, who loves us, doesn't just call it a day, but he comes in the person of Jesus. He takes upon himself the punishment for sin, which is death, that we deserve. He dies on the cross in our place. And then through his death and his resurrection, death is defeated. Our sins are forgiven. And we can have that relationship with God. In other words, we can go to heaven. Again, a big word for that is Redemption. I don't know why I'm using the flip chart, you can't see it. And so that's the story we often talk about the fall and redemption. Hopefully, that sounds really familiar. A few people nodding. If not, do Alpha. (laughs) Now, whilst that is completely true, completely true, it's actually only half the story. And if we leave our understanding of salvation and gospel at that, it actually leads to distortion of the gospel and what the Bible says about salvation. Because in this, the focus is on me. The focus is on I. It's all about my individual salvation and whether I'll go to heaven. And so through this lens then, mission... Is about getting people to come to know Jesus so that they're saved and they can go to heaven. Are you with me so far? It's all true. It's all completely true. But what this means is that it doesn't really matter, therefore, what happens to creation, to the world, to the environment. It's all going to end anyway. We're going to go up to heaven. So let's put our priority on getting people into heaven and knowing Jesus because the world's all going to be wiped away one day anyway. So why would we waste our energy putting it in to creation care? We should get on with the work of saving souls for heaven. Okay, let's look again. Firstly, the story of salvation is not about me. It's about God. And that means it's far bigger than me. The Christian story doesn't, in fact, start with the fall. What does the Christian story start with? Creation. The Christian story starts with creation. God created everything and He said it was good. Now, that English translation of that word doesn 't really do it justice, he said it was good, like it means a whole lot more than that it means amazing, wonderful pinnacle you can 't do better it's not words to describe it. God created everything and said it was good, and the pinnacle of his creation was humans was humanity and He stood back after creating and said it is very good. humans made in his image shot through with his breath of life in them. And the purpose he gives humanity, these people is just created in his image. The first instruction he gives them, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Right from the beginning, from creation, we were mandated to represent God, to build culture, and bring uh, shalom to his world. And again, this idea of shalom is, is translated as peace, but it's so much more than peace. It's about the whole flourishing of people. And so the story starts not with full, but with creation. God created it, and it was good. We were created as his image bearers, and thus at the full... It wasn't just our individual relationship with God that got screwed and impaired by sin. It was actually the whole of creation. And if you look at Genesis 3, 14 to 21, you can see uh, kind of verses there that talk about the impact it had on the whole created order. And although compromised by the fall, the vision of human flourishing and humankind, that mandate remains in place it remained in place and as you look through the pages of scripture if you look for it you can see that this is constant constant mandate coming through about looking after the land about caring for God's people about um stewarding all that they've been given it's a thing that comes all the way through are you still with me one person brilliant and just as the story doesn't start with a fall, but it starts with creation, so the story doesn't finish with redemption, but it finishes with restoration. I really don't know why I bothered with the flip chart. It finishes with restoration. Jesus's death and resurrection achieve so much more than just our individual redemption. But it paved the way, it includes the restoration of the whole of creation. We've read this, this evening from the first chapter of the Bible. If you look at the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 21, what we see is a new heaven and a new earth. We see uh, this heavenly city coming down to earth, not us going up to heaven. What happens when we die if you're a Christian? What happens when we die if you're a Christian? Well, we have this kind of cultural myth, even in the church, that when we die, we somehow have this disembodied existence and float up in our spirit to this ethereal place, up in the cloud somewhere, called heaven. If that's what you believe, that I'm sorry to break it to you, but that doesn't seem to be the biblical understanding. In fact, the picture the biblical author's pain is that when Jesus comes again, he comes and restores and recreates and redeems the earth. Not that the whole thing gets burned up and goes out the window as we all disappear to this other place, but that Jesus somehow comes down and renews and restores what is here. He sort of takes us back to Eden and then kind of makes it even better. It's how Jesus taught us to pray. We've prayed it this evening. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so what that means is that every small action that we do that's in line with the kingdom of heaven as in perfect as it may well be, is a prophetic action of the restoration of the earth. Tom Wright, a a theologian, he talks about, uh, and we've got a great example up on the hill, of cathedral builders. And cathedral, you know, all the stonemasons, all the craftsmen. Like I don't know how long Lincoln Cathedral took to build, but 200, 300 years maybe. And what it meant is that the the guys working, uh, chipping away their little bit of stone, They were just working on their little bit of stone. And they somehow believed that there was this vision for something even better and even bigger. That they couldn't see it. In fact, they didn't even see it in their lifetime. But somehow, that piece of stone that that one stonemason had kind of done his bit on, was like this prophetic piece that then got built into the whole. So that when the whole thing was created, all those little bits came together to create something amazing. And Tom Wright says that's a bit of a picture about all our little actions that kind of speak forward to how the kingdom's going to be. And so creation, you see, matters deeply. And therefore how we treasure, how we think of creation, how we treat our environment is therefore a mark of mission because it points to the creator himself. The way we think about and engage with our creation, with our environment, should point people to the creator himself. It points people to his desire for human flourishing. It points to what it means to be a human, living out our purpose and identifying. And it points to the great story of salvation. We've got a lot of catching up to do.